Foreshadowing is the mysterious whisper that hints at the secrets yet to be unveiled. Jocelyn Murray. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hole. And I'm Lee S's. Welcome to our bonus episode on foreshadowing. One of the things that we noticed as we were putting notes together for this entire season is there was a whole bunch of advice out there in the world on what not to do with foreshadowing. We have talked all month about how to get the timing right, how to do the breadcrumbing, how to do it in very specific circumstances for plot progression. Foreshadowing, though, is one of those things that is so easy to mess up. It is so easy, instead of being that mysterious whisper, turning it into a bludgeon that just smacks the readers over the head. You don't want that. So the first thing that we want to talk about today as far as how not to foreshadow is identifying what bad foreshadowing looks like. What makes this foreshadowing good and this foreshadowing bad? We have a few major categories and they are deflating the suspense instead of ramping it up. If it's overused, if it's overdone, if you're telling instead of showing in a bad way, or if you're not fulfilling that foreshadowing. So let's get into the deflating the suspense. When you have bad foreshadowing, this usually happens when you tell too much or you're too plain about the foreshadowing. Obviously, you have cases like prophecy where you are laying out very specifically, hey, here's this thing that's going to happen. But like we said in the prophecy episode, there's a lot of questions still about how that is going to be carried out or the specifics because prophecies are often vague. If you aren't vague, if you're being too plain about it, there's no longer a question of how it's going to end. There's no longer a question of will this happen? It's just, okay, when, I guess? But that really doesn't matter anymore because they know the outcome. Really great foreshadowing is a favorite tool of skilled authors because it gets the reader engaged. It gets them leaning forward. It gets them asking more questions. If you are giving too much or if you're telling too late, or if you're distracting from the moment, you're doing all of these things that deflates the suspension instead of inflating it, then the reader just sort of sighs, their shoulders drop, and they lean back, which is not what you want as an author. I've also seen some things recently on TikTok about certain promotions for your book. Be warned, using certain tropes to promote your book can in and of itself ruin the foreshadowing because it is a spoiler. That's what bad foreshadowing really is, is it spoilers, and you don't want to do that. Another way that you can accidentally deflate the suspense is by giving the information to the right characters. And what we mean by that is the main character, the hero, learns something that is vital but that information is received way too early in the story. So you're stuck in this place of, well, we have this information, but we can't do anything about it because, well, story reasons. If you're giving this foreshadowing to a different character, and therefore you're able to give it to the audience, but not to the main character, that's a much more successful tool in conveying this foreshadowing. 
I saw someone post online recently asking about their story. It's from two points of view, a guy and a girl, and he is actually stalking her and she thinks she's falling in love. An interesting story, but if the foreshadowing of however this relationship ends up is told directly to her, then it's deflating that suspense. If it's told to her daughter, who then fights for her sanity and her safety or whatever, then it's dramatic. It's interesting. We are hoping that this character wins over that one. The next point that we want to talk about when it comes to bad foreshadowing is the overused foreshadowing. You really don't need to bludgeon your readers with foreshadowing. They will pick up on the small things. You don't need 17 different things that foreshadow a single event. Like our opener said, it should be a mysterious whisper, not a guy shouting into a megaphone. If you're overusing foreshadowing in your storytelling, then it becomes chaotic. It's difficult to track as a reader what you're trying to say to them. Especially when it comes to things like murder mysteries, where you need to lay the groundwork for the correct killer, but not make it so obvious early on that the readers get frustrated. When you foreshadow too much in this case, the lack of subtlety that is just a spotlight on the killer is no longer fun. It's no longer an interesting read. Even if people can figure out the killer early, there still needs to be something that causes doubt. Whatever else you can do to help break up the foreshadowing that you have set down earlier in the story. And remember, the thrill of good foreshadowing comes in hindsight as much as it does beforehand. So as I'm looking back or rereading this story going, oh, the sheriff canceled the meeting because he was actually the killer and he was sneaking out the back door while the hero was coming in through the front. That's cool. I didn't notice that at this time. I just thought the sheriff canceled the meeting. If you're too blatant about it, and you're going, this is foreshadowing, jazz hands. It's not fun anymore because we aren't able to look back with fondness at this scene and see it differently. And just the same that you don't want to foreshadow a single event too many times, you don't want to foreshadow too many things. Because when you lay down that groundwork again, your readers will notice, they will pick up on those things. And if you have too many things happening, too many instances of foreshadowing, the readers are going to start connecting dots that don't actually exist. And that is a problem for your overall story. And along with overusing this tool of foreshadowing is using types of foreshadowing that are overdone. Now this month we've covered a lot of the really popular ways to foreshadow. That doesn't mean you can't use prophecy in your story. That means use it well. But there are ways to oversalt your meal, so to speak, to use it too much and use the wrong ingredient for your story. Things like dreams, fortune cookies, all of those tropish ways to foreshadow are really overdone. And if you want to use them, you need to use them with intention and care knowing that the market is saturated with those kinds of tools. So if I have my character at a carnival 
and a fortune teller tells the character, hey, blah, 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 this is going to happen. Yeah, haha, that's funny. Prophecy. Not a big deal. We can do that. If later on, somebody stops him on the street and has a vision and says, I'm a fortune teller here, let me do this thing, and tells them something else. And then we see another fortune teller later on after that. It gets really burdensome, and we're misinterpreting the clues because this guy is clearly a magnet for fortune tellers. And eerily accurate ones at that. Yeah. The next category of things to avoid when you're foreshadowing is the telling instead of showing. This is a very common phrase used within the writing world, show, don't tell. When it comes to foreshadowing, this is especially important. You don't want to start by saying, something bad is about to happen. You show them through your writing. It's very annoying to especially start off a story with this type of foreshadowing and saying straight up, hey, blah, 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 because we know something bad is about to happen. That's why we're reading the book. There is an expectation of a problem and a solution that comes with ingesting a story. If you say, hey, their life is about to be turned upside down, that doesn't really tell us much and that especially doesn't show us enough to keep us engaged. Another way to identify whether or not you're showing versus telling is if you are too vague about something. Readers do want something to look for. The Fall of the House of Usher talks about the house and the family who lives in it. The family being destroyed is not the surprise of the story, but how is the why we read it? So we want to know how this particular prophecy comes about. If you're too vague and just going, something bad is going to happen to the family, versus there's a crack in the foundation in the house of Usher, this specificity that can be interpreted later on makes it a much more enjoyable foreshadowing as well as anchors you, the reader, into the moment of that story. And the last type of bad foreshadowing is, I think, the worst that you can have. And that is the unfulfilled foreshadowing. The, I laid these breadcrumbs and they led to nowhere. We don't want to read the book and invest a bunch of time into thinking that this uncle character, who is the mentor of the best friend, is going to show up. And then the character never shows up and that's kind of the end of it. Because then all of this effort that I have put into reading the story and trying to guess who the killer is or how this and that is going to play out is for nothing. That doesn't mean you can't have it as a red herring. That means do something with it. It's that Chekhov's gun where it doesn't have to be what we expect, but something has to happen with it. Even if you don't fulfill it in that book, if you are planning a series, you can make a nod at the end of book one to say, okay, they have found something more about this particular bit of foreshadowing that we laid down. And the next book, you're going to expand on it and you're going to really dive into it. Whatever it is, you still need to fulfill it some way or hint that it will be fulfilled in future books very difficult to actually do unless you've written those books. A way that I see this unfulfilled foreshadowing pop up fairly frequently is when we hint that this side character might betray the main character. They are questioning their loyalties, the bad guy has started to bribe them, this and that, and then nothing happens with it. 
this side character chooses the good side and that's the end of it. If you don't keep piling drama onto that, then we keep expecting, is this the moment that the sidekick is going to betray the main character? And it's not, and it's not, and it's not. Ultimately, as a reader, we are let down because we've invested in this side plot that went nowhere. Obviously, you don't need to have the side character betray the hero, but you do need to have a moment that is the culmination of that foreshadowing, where it is very obvious that it is a real struggle for them to choose right now is the key moment. If they betray them now, there is no going back. But if they hold on and they back their hero still, there is no betrayal option for the future. So you can still have that good emotional investment without the letdown, without the side character betraying the hero. But it has to be an ultimatum kind of moment. Which is delicious and juicy and a lot more fun to write than just, yeah, they might betray him, maybe not, and then just never doing anything with it. Lean into the juicy bits. So that's generally what bad foreshadowing can look like. And that's the type of foreshadowing I think we can all agree. We don't want in the stories that we're reading and especially not in the stories that we're writing. Something to keep in mind as your foreshadowing is understanding when it's necessary and when it's not. We're going to talk more about that on Monday. But we did want to highlight some of the times where you want to make sure that you're doing it and you're doing it well. One of those cases that you need to make sure that your foreshadowing has been done correctly is if they are leading to plot twists. I was maybe a little bit too young to really grasp what was happening in The Sixth Sense because I did not fall into this category. However, most people finished watching that movie not thinking that twist came out of nowhere. They all had a sense that something was wrong, that something wasn't being told. So when it was revealed that he was dead all along, everybody's like, oh, all of this other stuff now makes sense. I was just dumb. You were also a kid. You're fairly young. Very. (laughs) Probably too young for Sixth Sense. Yeah, my parents never really had that boundary as far as... It's like, if you're too young to understand it, then you can watch it and just not understand it. (laughs) Having those plot twists foreshadowed ahead of time is the best way to pull off both sides of this equation, both the plot twist and that foreshadowing. I do also want to point out the foreshadowing is to guide your reader through the story. You're giving them a lens through which you're going to see the rest of the story. If you're making it ominous, which most foreshadowing is, then we will interpret things that happen to the hero differently than if it was a happy-go-lucky story. Have you ever seen those clips on social media where somebody is putting the wrong soundtrack to a certain dramatic moment in a key movie? So the, you are my brother, Anakin, drama with, like, rom-com music behind it. My favorite is one of the Lord of the Rings ones. Where, like, it's a super high-tense dramatic moment between Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli. And they put this, like, really sappy music behind it. (laughs) It's just like, whoa. Yeah, I think I saw uh, Aragorn, Legolas one where he gives him the necklace back and Mm. says, you're, like, my good friend. But they put, like, Kenny G behind it. Yes, that's the one it was. (laughs) And that is... 
And that is the danger of not using foreshadowing to guide your reader through the story, because then they can interpret things however they want to interpret it. Foreshadowing is that soundtrack that sets the scene for the whole story. Getting that soundtrack right and getting that foreshadowing right will frame how they see everything else. Overall, when it comes to foreshadowing, subtlety and delicacy is the key. You don't want to overdo it. And it is way too easy, way too easy to go overboard with foreshadowing and try to foreshadow everything or foreshadow something way too many times. So we want to talk a little bit on how to not overdo your foreshadowing. Like we mentioned earlier, subtlety is key. It should be something that's in the corner of their eye or something that's small and dismissed by the character. Something that the reader might not even notice is foreshadowing until much later. One of my favorite examples of this was a mention in Words of Radiance, the second of the Stormlight Archive, where we see the king mention very briefly about these shadows and shapes that he's been seeing in the mirrors or out of the corner of his eye. And I didn't notice it until my third or fourth reread, I think, after the events of Oathbringer that revealed exactly what those were. And suddenly I went, oh, that changes everything. It changed the context for so many things in book one and book two and book three. And suddenly things were starting to piece together way more because of this very subtle piece of foreshadowing. Again, I was probably just too dumb to notice the first time around. (laughs) That's ultimate craftsmanship, though. Even when you're being overt in the the fortune teller is giving a prophecy to the main character, even when you're super obvious about it. The content of that foreshadowing, that prophecy, should only make sense afterward. If they're going on a date in the middle of November at a carnival, and the fortune teller says, that family that you're going to for Thanksgiving is going to chew you up and spit you out. So he's going, oh, maybe I shouldn't go to my girlfriend's family's house for Thanksgiving dinner. He's thinking that they're going to tear him a new one for dating the girl, and he's going to have all of these trials dealing with the girl's dad and blah, blah, blah. But it turns out the family is actually cannibals. They're literally going to chew and spit him out. This is a reinterpretation of the same phrase that only makes sense after we learn that her last name is Donner. Another thing to keep in mind when you're doing this foreshadowing is don't lose track of the current moment in the actual story that you're telling. Don't focus so much on what's going to happen in the future that you forget to continue telling the real story. Because if you do that too much, readers are just going to get confused, especially if there is any sort of timeline stuff involved at all. Yeah, if we are doing a flash forward type foreshadowing and we spend more time forward than back, or if you're doing a flashback and they're spending more time back than forward, we lose track of what we're supposed to be emotionally invested in. Another thing that I feel like all of this comes down to is make sure that you're only foreshadowing one thing. You can foreshadow it in a whole bunch of different ways, but it should be she's actually going crazy or this guy is actually the murderer. If you're also foreshadowing that she's going to do this and she's going crazy, it gets too confusing. There's too much work drawing connections that we aren't supposed to. 
it's not as enjoyable of a foreshadowing experience. It goes back to what we talked about, I believe, in our plot twist episode. You really only want one major plot twist in a story. More than that, and you cause a problem. Same thing with foreshadowing. You really only want to foreshadow one major thing. You can, of course, foreshadow a couple of small things that are minor details that really don't impact a lot. But if you're foreshadowing a big event, make sure that it is your main focus for your foreshadowing in your story. And that goes hand in hand with our next point, which is to make sure that all of your foreshadowing moments are connected somehow. We're using the bird motif the entire time. It should be an establishing and a recall to that foreshadowing that you did so that they're all connected as one entire piece together. The ability to establish and recall is what makes foreshadowing work at its core. If you aren't connecting these dots between foreshadowing pieces as well as the foreshadowing and the twists that they are foreshadowing, then it's not going to make as much sense to anyone except you because there is nothing to connect those dots for the readers. Another thing to keep in mind is that unless you are writing an omniscient narrator, something like Lemony Snicket, your main character needs to be oblivious or flippant about the foreshadowing that you're laying down. So if the fortune teller comes up and goes, don't go to this Thanksgiving dinner, he's not going to take that fortune seriously. When Trelawney goes, hey, big dogs are scary, be afraid, they're just like, why? (laughs) And they just leave it there and move on with their lives. My favorite, though, is the Ron is really a seer. They're very flippant about his because he thinks he's just making it up, even though he's saying things that are eerily accurate. (laughs) This disregard for the foreshadowing can come in a variety of ways. One is they don't really recognize what they're saying in the first place. The fact that this guy is still fixing the mailbox doesn't really register as anything interesting to the hero. They don't recognize that they're losing their mind. It can also be something like they're warned off of pursuing whatever it is that they're doing, like a case or investigation, but that's what they do. It's their job. They are a detective, so they're going to investigate no matter what kind of warnings come their way. Another way to make the main character oblivious of this foreshadowing is to literally just don't tell them. Tell the love interest, tell the side character, so there ends up being that communication barrier of the side character doesn't recognize the relevance of this, even if the main character would, until just the right time, three quarters of the way through the second act, when, oh, by the way, this person told me this, and all of the pieces start coming together. And of course, one of the most common ways to have the main character dismiss it is have it be an external detail about the world that they just really aren't paying attention to. This could be as simple as it's storming. A lot of people understand that there is a symbolism to a storm in a story. The main character is just like, oh, it's raining. Okay, whatever. Because you as the author have chosen to include this bit of information about the weather or the world or this or that, that tells us, the readers, that we should be paying attention to it. This is significant. The fact that it's storming isn't that's how weather works for the reader like it is for the character. 
Another kind of bad foreshadowing that I've seen that is kind of hand in hand with this keeping the main character oblivious is if the foreshadowing happens too close to the event that it's foreshadowing. If you're doing a flash forward and we see a little bit of what the world will look like for the main character in the future and then we come back to present day, we want to work through how the character changes between the flash forward and the events that you're flashing to. If it's the next chapter, it just feels like you've got a really screwed up timeline. Having them so close together, having that detail happen immediately There's not enough time for the audience to get more context, to learn with the character to progress. You might as well have just started with that moment that you flashed forward to. We say all of this not to warn you off of foreshadowing. That is the opposite of our goal. If you want to foreshadow, please foreshadow because it can be a thrill as a storyteller and a reader to be figuring out what's happening to the main character as it's happening. This can be so much fun for you as an author and for your stories. So the reason why we're doing this particular episode is we want to give you an idea of what good foreshadowing looks like. We're not trying to warn you off of it entirely. Here are some ways it's done poorly so you can avoid them. Because honestly, foreshadowing is so key to any good storytelling. You need to have groundwork laid for how your story is going to end, and you need to be able to do it properly. You need to be able to do it subtly and carefully. To do that, you need to know what good foreshadowing looks like and what bad foreshadowing looks like. Now, before we wrap up this episode, we do have a little bit of housekeeping. First of all, we wanted to mention that NaNoWriMo is coming. If you're participating in that, make sure you also hop onto our Discord server because we're going to be on there pretty much constantly. We will be doing sprints. If you start a sprint and one or both of us are online, we will drop everything as often as we can to participate in that sprint. Please go start sprints. I need motivation to write. (laughs) There is a slight exception to that, though. We will be busy on November 21st and 22nd. We are going to be at Dragonsteel 2023 in Salt Lake. If you are also a Brandon Sanderson fan or you want to stop by, say hi, you will find us there. Yay! If you mention to us at Dragon Seal that you listened to this episode and you came and found us because of that, we will give you a little prize. Just a little trinket, something fun. And if you don't find me at the booth, you'll probably find me somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to put a leash on her. (laughs) Yeah. Or at least like one of those Apple tracker things. (laughs) She's like, where is she? Second story. All right. (laughs) (laughs) so we hope to see you there if not keep listening our next series we are going to take a critical look at certain kinds of writing this can be interpreted as a very negative way of looking at writing we want to make sure that you are forewarned in that especially if you're like me and you're incredibly self-critical this can stop up the faucet of creativity This can block you and your muse if you're being too critical of yourself in your own writing. Therefore, especially if you're participating in NaNo and you're that kind of person, set this next season aside and come back afterward, especially if you're in the editing process instead of the writing process. We have more than 450 episodes at this point. Find something else to listen to. Don't stop learning. Don't stop growing. But this season, you might want to put off until later. 
If you are willing to stick around, we will be talking about how to identify certain things within writing, how to identify good writing, how to identify head hopping, things that will really help you take a critical look at your own writing, which can be very helpful for you. We realized as we were talking at a different convention earlier this month that we've talked a lot about how to fix these problems and not necessarily how to identify them in your own writing. So that's going to be most of November. It's going to be a great tool for taking your writing and your style up to the next level, especially during your self-editing process, but it can also be dangerous. So know yourself and when you are writing everything, foreshadowing and nano and all of these things, make sure you write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. 